Hello, my name is George Follows, consultant haematologist from Cambridge, and I'm delighted to be able to present to you today the 30th in the series of podcasts produced by the British Society for Haematology. This podcast is covering the guideline for the first-line management of classical Hodgkin lymphoma. Now, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, we are recording this over Zoom, so please forgive us if there are any glitches in the recording sound quality. By way of introduction, as I said, I'm a consultant haematologist in Cambridge. I took up this post originally in the university in 2004, but 2007, I was appointed as the clinical lead for the lymphoma and CLL service with an NHS contract. I've developed a long-standing interest in Hodgkin lymphoma over these years and was quite instrumental in bringing Escalated Beercop, the German protocol, into the east of England. And I've been part of the development of that protocol in the UK and some of its more recent developments by adding in decarbazine that I'll be mentioning briefly in the podcast. I've recently been appointed as a visiting professor of haematology at the Anglia Ruskin Medical School, and I continue in Cambridge to run an active clinical and clinical trials programme in lymphoma and CLL. So the guideline we're going to be discussing, the first line management of classical Hodgkin lymphoma, is quite a chunky guideline. It covers a lot of different areas of how we manage Hodgkin lymphoma and develops on from some of the themes that we discussed in the first version that was published ooh, eight years ago now in the British Journal of Haematology. I'm going to broadly split this podcast into four sections. The first section will be pre-treatment assessments and what we do with that patient in the clinic before we start treating them. The second section will be talking about early stage Hodgkin lymphoma that is divided into early stage favorable and the slightly unfortunate name early stage unfavorable. The third section of the podcast will be talking about advanced stage Hodgkin lymphoma and how we manage these uh, perhaps more challenging patients and the different options available. And the fourth and final section of the main podcast will be talking about different subgroups of patients, such as the teenage and young adult populations, the elderly and pregnant patients. I'll then round off with a bit of uh, conclusion and discussion for the whole podcast. So the first part of this podcast, we're going to talk about the pre-treatment evaluation of patients with Hodgkin lymphoma. Now, patients with Hodgkin lymphoma present to us in a number of different ways, but commonly patients are well enough to give us time to allow us to do the appropriate pre-treatment testing that can influence how we manage the patients. Of course, blood tests should include serology for viruses, in particular HIV, hepatitis B, hepatitis C. And I think this is very important because it influences not just therapy choice potentially, but also additional medications the patients will require. We used to accept CT staging, but now really PET-CT is very much the recommended way of establishing the stage for our patients. I think there are the occasional patient who are simply too unwell to wait for a PET scan, and they have to start on steroids or even chemotherapy directly. But this, thankfully, is distinctly uncommon in Hodgkin lymphoma nowadays. We've put in the guideline that we no longer recommend bone marrow biopsies because PET-CT really is a very effective way of staging Hodgkin's and showing whether or not the bone marrow is involved. So please um, put the needles away. If at all possible, you just don't need to do bone marrows in these patients. 
We do like to classify patients based on this PET scan into early stage, and they are split into the favorable and unfavorable that I'll be talking about in the next section. And then with advanced stage patients, we like to allocate an international prognostic score. This is based on a collection of different modalities that range from the age of the patient, the sex, uh, the extent of disease, of course, stage four, you get a point, and then various blood parameters that contribute to that score. And I think it's worth doing because, again, it influences in the advanced stage patients how we think about the patient in terms of their management. We've also mentioned in the guideline that all patients uh, of the uh, appropriate age should be offered fertility preservation and counselling. And there's huge variation between individual patients as to what they require. And depending on where you are listening to this guideline in the UK or internationally, you will also have different local referral pathways as to what works for you and your patients. We strongly recommend that wherever time allows to refer into your local fertility services so the right advice can be given to the right patient. For the second part of this podcast, I'll be talking about management of early stage Hodgkin lymphoma. Now, we're strongly encouraging people in this guideline to separate patients into those early stage favourable and early stage unfavourable. We actually quite like the term early, early stage intermediate. It's a bit less painful to say to a patient because we think early stage unfavourable does have quite a bad ring to it. But those patients with a favourable disease, in their guideline, we've got a table that shows you how the ERTCs, the European uh, research group, is slightly different from the German Hodgkin lymphoma research group as to how these are classified. It matters because they used a, a subtle difference, particularly in the number of lymph node sites involved, to decide whether a patient could go into these best risk groups. But basically, the best risk early stage patients, they have low tumor burden, so non-bulky lymph nodes that in the German group are involving only one or two lymph node sites. Now, there's a nice picture in the guideline which do documents quite clearly what these nodal sites are. And some people have been printing this off for their MDT because it makes day-to-day -day life a lot easier if you can just have a quick uh, check. Is that supraclavicular node grouped in the same way as the mediastinal node, etc.? To be favourable with the Europeans, you had to be aged under 50, which the Germans didn't include, but the European trials allowed patients to have up to three lymph node sites rather than two lymph node sites. So there is a bit of a subtle difference. In terms of managing these early stage favourables, there have been a number of prospective trials now that have asked the question whether or not radiotherapy could be safely omitted from the treatment. And the consistent finding that we discuss in the guideline across all these trials is that patients treated without radiotherapy have a clearly excess risk of relapse. And to to pull out a figure, it ranges in the studies between 7 and 13, 14%. I tend to say 10%. And it's important because we know that radiotherapy comes with its own set of risks uh, in the medium and longer term. And we know that there are certain patients, and I'm thinking about, say, female patients with mediastinal disease, which would end up with a degree of radiation to breast tissue, or patients where the coronary osteo would get uh, exposed to radiotherapy. And we know that there are some patients where, you know, ideally we would perhaps avoid radiotherapy, but we've got to be very clear with those patients. If we don't use radiotherapy, then there's a one in 10 excess risk that they will relapse because of that decision. 
So the standard of care, which we've uh, advocated in this guideline, is two cycles of ABVD, and then you have your interim PET. Now, if that interim PET is negative and you're following the German model, so one or two lymph node uh, areas involved, well, you'd go straight to involved field radiotherapy with only 20 gray. Following the European model, well, if you're negative, they give one extra cycle of ABVD and give involved site radiotherapy, and that radiotherapy dose was a touch higher in their trial. Again, this is all discussed in a bit more detail in the guideline, but that really is our basic standard approach. If you, with a radiation oncologist and an MDT, feel that for that patient that radiotherapy could be avoided and is perhaps the right strategy, then treating that patient with maybe three or four doses, cycles of ABVD in total is probably the optimal way forward. We're certainly trying to discourage people from giving six cycles of ABVD for non-bulky early stage Hodgkin lymphoma. That would be a, a shame for these good risk patients. So the second part of the early stage uh, section is talking about the unfavorable early stage patients or these intermediate early stage patients. So the Germans and Europeans both agree that a large mediastinal lymph node or an ESR over 50 without B symptoms or over 30 with B symptoms, these all comprise this early stage, less favorable risk. If you have more than three or more lymph node sites for the Germans or four or more for the Europeans, that would also count as these early stage risks. But please remember that the Germans were quite strict that if a patient has B symptoms and they have either a large uh, mediastinal mass or exonodal disease, these should be managed as advanced stage Hodgkin lymphoma. And I think that is a subtlety that we have to remember. So the commonest of those scenarios is, of course, large mediastinal mass, but stage 2B, please, I think we should be putting them straight into advanced stage protocols rather than these early stage uh, intermediate protocols that we have been using. So in terms of the strategy, in the guideline, we talk about these different approaches. One approach is starting with escalated BIRCOP, and the other approach is starting with ABVD. Now, I've got to put my biases on the table. We've been big fans of the German approaches for treating Hodgkin lymphoma in the east of England, so have familiarity with this for a long time. And the German HD17 approach for these early stage unfavorables starts with escalated BIRCOP, gives them two cycles of BIRCOP, then two cycles of ABVD and does the PET scan. Those that are PET negative do not need to go on to radiotherapy and they have a remarkably low relapse rate. Those who are PET positive at that stage, well, they do go on to 30 grave involved site radiotherapy. So you are committing a cohort of patients, maybe around 10% or so to radiotherapy with that approach. Starting with ABVD, well, the idea there is either you follow the H10 approach with a plan to use radiotherapy, whereby you give two ABVD, the interim PET, if it's negative, you can go on, give two more ABVD and then the radiotherapy. Or if the interim PET is positive, you would then go to two escalated BIRCOP and give 30 gray of involved site radiotherapy. The alternative approach for treating these early stage intermediate risks is starting with ABVD. Now, if we're starting with a plan to use radiotherapy, then the patients would have two ABVD, an interim PET scan, and if it was negative, the patient would have two more ABVD and 30 gray involved site radiotherapy. If that interim PET was positive, then they would move to two cycles of escalated BIRCOP and have 30 gray of involved site radiotherapy. 
The alternative strategy is to treat with ABVD all the way through and then avoid radiotherapy completely. With these patients, two ABVD, if the patient is PET negative, they would then complete four cycles further of ABVD, i.e. six in total. This approach is certainly very popular with colleagues across the UK, i.e. taking what we call a RAFL or a more advanced stage Hodgkin lymphoma approach to these patients. It is worth noting that it is now quite common international practice to drop bleomycin from patients' protocols if they achieve an interim PET negative. This is an extension from the RAFL trial. Of course, that was not necessarily validated in early stage patients, but most uh, Hodgkin lymphoma clinicians feel this really is absolutely fine to do in terms of reducing the exposure to bleomycin for these young patients. So to summarise the early stage unfavourables, starting a patient with escalated BACOP is perhaps the best way if you're going for that first remission and without the use of radiotherapy, but it does expose all of your patients to that more intensive chemotherapy programme. And the alternative approach is starting with ABVD. I know we've got to be very careful about cross-trial comparisons, but perhaps you're making the trade there of a longer exposure to chemotherapy, but less intensive exposure than escalated BACOP, and perhaps a higher risk of needing to use radiotherapy. But that's for you to decide discuss with your patient and to explore in more detail as we discuss it in the guideline. Now, the third section of this podcast is talking about advanced stage Hodgkin lymphoma. You'll see in our guideline that we went to quite extensive lengths to discuss the pros and cons of starting a patient with ABVD or escalated BACOP. There really are definitely pros and cons. ABVD is a uh, I almost said more gentle. That's a bit unfair because it's still pretty tough chemotherapy, but it is a more straightforward chemotherapy to deliver than escalated BACOP. The chances of infections and hospitalizations and the need for blood transfusion, et cetera, are all lower. In terms of fertility in younger patients, it has a better track record. So there are, of course, many reasons that favor starting your patient with advanced stage Hodgkin lymphoma with ABVD. The German approach using escalated BACOP has quite clearly shown the better data in terms of putting patients into first remission from which they don't relapse. And we've had long experience in the east of England of starting our advanced stage Hodgkin lymphoma patients on escalated BACOP. So relapse rates are certainly lower, but there is the trade-off that you are treating all patients with more intensive chemotherapy. Now, in recent years, we've, re we've had the HD18 data that has validated stopping patients who achieve an interim PET negative scan after just a total of four cycles of escalated BACOP. So this is allowing three quarters of patients with advanced stage Hodgkin lymphoma to complete their treatment in just 12 weeks. So although that treatment may be tough, it's actually over quicker. And that compares with six months of therapy for patients embarking on ABVD. So the approaches are quite different. The patients, after their interim PET scan and both uh, approaches, have the opportunity to de-escalate therapy. We now know with ABVD, if you achieve a PET negative remission, you definitely don't need the bleomycin. So you can then complete your treatment with four cycles of AVD, and you would not need to have any involved site radiotherapy.
Following the raffle approach, if patients are interim PET positive after 2-ABVD, they will be escalated to the more intensive escalated BIRCOP and have four cycles. Quite a bit of debate as to whether those patients should then have radiotherapy consolidation. That is certainly standard practice in other parts of the world, but many patients in the UK, if they achieve a PET negative scan after those four escalated BIRCOPs, would not have radiotherapy. Starting with escalated BIRCOP, as we mentioned, after two cycles, if a patient is PET negative, well, then the standard would be to just complete two more cycles, i.e. four in total, and not have radiotherapy. An alternative is the French approach, the AHL 2011, and with these patients, they were de-escalated to ABVD times four, and they therefore completed two escalated BIRCOP for ABVD and did also not require radiotherapy. So you can see that there are various different uh, approaches that can be taken. Now, to throw an extra complication in the mix, many of you treating Hodgkin lymphoma in the UK will now be familiar with the escalated beer COP-DAC protocol. So this is swapping out procarbazine, which we know is toxic, particularly to germ cells and uh, hematopoietic stem cells, and replacing it with dacarbazine that we think is less toxic. We think this is one of the reasons why escalated BIRCOP historically has had a higher rate of fertility problems compared with ABVD, and another reason contributing to the transfusion requirements of that regimen. Now, part of my team and my research registrar in Cambridge are amalgamating this large rolling data set from many different centres across the UK and actually also from France. And we've been publishing that data and we have more data coming, showing that swapping out the procarbazine and putting in dacarbazine does not appear to reduce the efficacy of the escalated beer cop regimen, but it certainly seems to help in terms of speed of menstrual cycle recovery. And we've had so far, touch wood, every female patient we have treated in this series under 35 has regained their menstrual periods after treatment with escalated beer cop DAC. So this is definitely watch this space, but there's more published data coming. And increasingly UK clinicians are feeling more comfortable with making that swap away from escalated beer cop. So to summarise, treating Hodgkin lymphoma in the UK, we have the choice of either escalated BIRCOP or BIRCOP-DAC versus ABVD. There are pros and cons of each approach. I think it is fair to say that starting with escalated BIRCOP, you have a higher chance of that patient staying in their first remission, not relapsing and not, relax, not requiring an autologous stem cell transplant. So we feel quite comfortable with that approach for our patients. The alternative is starting with ABVD, where you have to accept a certain proportion of your patients will require dose intensification to escalated BIRCOP and a higher percentage of patients will suffer relapse and then require salvage chemotherapy and autologous stem cell transplant. I think some clinicians are using the international prognostic score, so an IPS of three plus or stage, so stage four Hodgkin lymphoma. We've looked at and we've published the data looking at younger patients under 60 with those poorer risk features who are treated with the rattle approach. And essentially a quarter of those patients do relapse. So patients with stage four Hodgkin lymphoma or IPS three plus Hodgkin lymphoma who are treated with ABVD initially, about 75% will stay in that first remission, accepting some of them up also have to be intensified to escalated beer cop. But even with the intensification to beer cop, the overall package, about a quarter of patients will relapse. And so perhaps if you're listening to this and wondering whether 
your next patient, you should be offering them escalated beer coptac. Perhaps you might be more influenced for those high risk patients and to get familiar with this regimen uh, in those patients where potentially they have the maximum to gain from this regimen. So with this last fourth section of the podcast, I just want to mention specific groups for consideration. So teenage and young adults, these patients, of course, do have their own specific needs and they can be quite complex from schooling to university to the psychological issues with dealing with cancer at a young age, many challenges indeed. And that's before we've even talked about some of the increasing concern about late toxicities that can come from our different drugs, anthracyclines with cardiac toxicity, radiotherapy in terms of long-term lung, cardiac and second cancer risk. So all of these things do need to be considered and we strongly encourage referral into your local TYA centre. There's difference in practice across the UK. There are specific teenage and young adult protocols which are preferred by some centres, while other centres feel more comfortable with using the more standard adult protocols. And again, there are pros and cons of each approaches. There is a different strategy for using radiotherapy in TYA clinical protocols compared with adult protocols, and all of this does need to be discussed locally. Another challenging group of patients is how do we manage patients that present in pregnancy? Now, this really is difficult, particularly if patients present at in the first trimester and you're facing the dilemma of can you actually manage someone for a protracted period of time without starting them on chemotherapy? We try and do that in the first trimester, avoid any form of chemotherapy at all. Most Hodgkin lymphoma doctors are a bit more relaxed about introducing chemotherapy in the second and third trimester. ABVD remains the preferred option as much because people have not used uh, other drugs. And I guess personally, I'd be pretty nervous about drugs like procarbazine for uh, treating patients with, uh, who are pregnant. Tailored investigations, well, you've got to be careful doing staging, of course, you can use MRI scan, uh, but you wouldn't, of course, be doing PET-CT scan uh, for a patient who's pregnant. Radiotherapy, we really would strongly encourage that this is delayed after until after delivery. And there are published data sets out there of people just using simple strategies with monotherapy and vinblastin to tap people along through pregnancy and then aim to treat them more definitively afterwards. We felt in the guideline we couldn't really give very strong guidelines as to how patients are managed, but we felt there was enough data on ABVD to give that a category 1B guidance recommendation and say that is our preferred regimen for pregnant patients unless it is specifically contraindicated. Now, another challenging group, of course, is managing elderly patients with Hodgkin lymphoma. We have to remember that about 20% of cases of Hodgkin's present in patients over 60, and they commonly have quite a collection of comorbidities. When we look at prospective randomized trials, we've seen for a long time that the mortality of all of our treatments is definitely higher in patients treated over 60. And there's a well-known quote from HD9. So that was the advanced stage German protocol using escalated beer COP, and that included elderly patients, but there was a 21% mortality in patients over 60 who received that intensive regimen. Now, clearly that is just unacceptable. And we would be very uncomfortable using escalated beer. Cop in patients over 60. 
We know, looking at other trials, that bleomycin is a consistent problem for treating patients over 60. Bleomycin lung toxicity is one of those feared toxicities that we have to always be aware of when treating patients with Hodgkin lymphoma. Risks for bleomycin toxicity include increasing age, poor renal function, uh, total cumulative dose, of course, is an added risk. And there is perhaps some data suggesting concurrent use of GCSF. So all of these things we're very careful about. The trials specifically designed for elderly patients have been really quite limited. And it, again, we found in the guideline it was hard to point to specific regimens and say this is preferred. We feel it is reasonable in elderly non-frail patients where ABVD would be reasonable. We think it is sensible to treat these patients with AVD, i.e. without the bleomycin. If possible, limit your treatment to three cycles. If patients achieve a PET negative remission, well, stopping at that point may even be appropriate for advanced stage uh, Hodgkin lymphoma patients, because we know with each additional cycle of more intensive, more intensive treatment, there is increasing risk in these elderly patients. There are also other strategies. The more gentle one, Clavup, which is loved by British clinicians, which is clarambosil, venblastin, prednisolone, and procarbazine tablets, relatively straightforward to deliver, and that is popular with some units. And other anthracycline-based regimens, CHOP has been used. And then there is this uh, Scottish regimen, ACOP-B, which is doxorubin cyclophosphamide combined with incristin, procarbazine and prednisolone. Again, another anthracycline-based regimen that can be used in elderly Hodgkin lymphoma. We don't have the prospective randomised trials, so we can't give firm guidelines, but I think there's quite a bit that we discuss in the guidelines. And the last part of this section four is just to point out that there are other aspects of managing Hodgkin lymphoma, supportive care, the follow-up, the late effects. For every clinician who thinks Hodgkin lymphoma should all be discharged from the clinic after one or two years because, you know, they don't gain by coming back to the clinics. Well, there's another clinician who thinks Hodgkin lymphoma patients should stay long-term in the clinic so we can keep an eye on these younger patients for long-term side effects and toxicity. Um, we are aware that there are very specific screening programs. So the breast cancer screening for patients who get radiotherapy uh, between the ages of 15 and 25, um, and then they start a specific program that starts, the MRI screening starts eight years after the radiotherapy or at 25, whichever is later for the patients who are treated under the age of 36. There are specific rules and we mentioned them there. And then don't also forget checking thyroid function. People who get neck and mediastinal radiotherapy, we know that the instance of hypothyroidism, it really is a persisting risk and it goes up to age 20, 25 years beyond the radiotherapy. So that has to be remembered. We covered a few other issues in the guidelines. Irradiated blood products, that's a controversial one because we think the true evidence that Hodgkin lymphoma patients need irradiated blood products really is quite thin, but none of us are brave enough to actually put change that long-standing international recommendation. So unfortunately, that guideline stays with us that Hodgkin lymphoma should be, patients should be offered irradiated blood products when transfusion is required. And then one final point on the general supportive care. Please don't forget those referrals to the fertility clinics uh, or gynae colleagues for advice on menopause and menopausal management. 
We know our chemotherapy agents, they don't just reduce fertility overall, but they reduce that fertile window and run this risk, particularly in women in their 30s and 40s, of inducing an early menopause. And so managing this is not just important for quality of life, but it's also important in terms of reducing some of the end organ problems such as bone health, etc., that can result from early menopause that isn't managed appropriately. So I hope you've found that overview of the guideline for treating first-line classical Hodgkin lymphoma to be useful. I broadly split into those four parts, the pre-treatment assessments, management of early stage, management of advanced stage, and then management of the different subgroups. Of course, all of this is covered in more detail in the guideline. And certainly if this gets your interest, we refer to a number of very influential clinical trials that have been cited. And please go dig out those trials, get the original papers, read them through, form your own opinions. And you can always then discuss that with colleagues and it will certainly help how you manage your patients. Because remember, all of our jobs as clinicians, we're there as translators. We're meant to see that hardcore scientific data and then translate it into a way that our patients understand. We can help them make the right decision for them to treat their personal circumstances and the disease from which they're suffering. So thank you very much for listening to this podcast, which I do hope you have found to be helpful and interesting. Can I just suggest you go to the BSH website because we've got a great set of exciting podcasts there. As you know, the British Society for Haematology really are very keen on education, on disseminating best practice, and the guidelines that we publish and regularly update are an amazing resource for haematology clinicians, but also patients and other professionals who aren't necessarily direct managing patients with blood disorders and as our registrars always say you know what if you're preparing for the exams or you've got to speed learn about haematology you go straight to the guidelines website because that's where all of the key information is and i'm sure you'll find the same so thank you very much for listening